When someone thinks of Southern staples, sweet tea is a popular answer. Something about a tall glass with just a few ice cubes on a hot day. It's immensely satisfying, and it transports me to places like the one we're going to visit today. You see, Somerville is truly a portrait of Southern living. But it's also famous for another reason. Somerville is where sweet tea was born. Discover South Carolina presents The Palmetto Porch, a podcast featuring some of South Carolina's most charming towns and highlighting what makes them so special. I'm Devin Whitmire. All season long, I'll be traveling through the Palmetto State, interviewing locals who will share their own unique perspective on places to visit, foods to try, and insider travel tips. These towns may be small, but they are big on fun, food, and Southern hospitality. Somerville first came to prominence as a respite from Charleston, a kind of picturesque escape for the larger city's residents. And beyond that, scientists took note of the health benefits of pine trees for those with illnesses like tuberculosis. And I mentioned it before, but according to historians, sweet tea can trace its beginnings here in the late 1800s. These two factors contributed to Somerville's initial popularity. But I knew that there was more to the town than just tall trees. So when I got there, I found someone with firsthand knowledge of Somerville's heritage and history. Somerville, the birthplace of sweet tea, has seen a lot of ups and downs over the years. Now it's stepping into a new identity through various revitalization initiatives. We're joined on the porch by Diane Frankenberger, Somerville resident and owner of the store People, Places, and Quilts, to hear more about the town's transformation. Welcome to the porch, Ms. Diane. I'm so excited to have you here with us today. Well, thank you for asking me. Diane told me the story behind her store. I worked for somebody up in Alexandria, Virginia that had a small space in what used to be an old carriage house that was redone. And it sounds like I'm I'm making this up because Southerners do, and I consider myself a Southerner, (laughs) exaggerate. But he had a fourth grade education and he was raised in an orphanage. And he had bought this old carriage house that was falling apart and put different businesses in it. I've since found out that that's called incubation. And I said, you know what? There's a neat store in Somerville. And he said, well, you you should buy something that maybe is not in very good condition, and I'll get to that in a minute. I thought, you know what? I've graduated from high school. I I can do this. So I did buy Cawthon's old hardware store 33 years ago, and I drew the design of it. Back in those days, you could. Had like businesses in there, made the rent really reasonable, and I sold folk art and antique quilts. And and I had no business experience. I just sort of did the math. If this is how much the bank payment is, divided by six, and here are these other things— and it wasn't so much, Devin, that I knew what I wanted to do. It was more like what I didn't want to do. And I, I wanted to treat people fairly. I didn't want to judge them by how they looked. Who comes to your store? What kind of people do you see there every day? Well, all kinds of people. And we have uh, dogs that are frequent visitors. We had a one-eyed dog in yesterday named Sam. <laughs> anyway, so men have gotten into the world of quilting. In fact, they're the ones that make the money. It's really sort of an engineering thing, if you think about it, or it can be Legos with fabric. One man came in with a shirt on that he said, welding is sewing fabric with fire or something like that. I can't remember, but it was a great shirt. Anyway, so all kinds of people. I'd say now that our 
average customer is probably a younger person in their 40s or 50s because quilting is no longer really what you have plus what you need. It's what you want in a design sort of thing so that Mm -hmm. you can make your own clothes, you can make purses, scarves, pillows, wall hangings. And then there are a whole lot of businesses or organizations that give quilts as a means of comfort. While her business would be new to Somerville, Diane didn't want to change much about the building's appearance. She preserved as much as she could to pay homage to the previous owners. Mr. and Mrs. Coffin were just dear, and they were dear to me. They were Mm -hmm. like the time I would say parents or grandparents to me. Mrs. Coffin had a yarn shop in there, and she had a gift shop. And she bought or she let me sell some of my artwork that was in there. We've kept the cash register and a lot of the counters, a lot of fixtures that were in other buildings downtown before they got torn down. Mm -hmm. So some people say it reminds them of their two favorite places, a museum and a church. What kind of space do you feel that you've created in downtown Somerville? Well, first of all, downtown Somerville, I'm not the only business, but I would say all of the businesses are very welcoming and they're all locally owned and we all work together and we've all worked real hard to make the downtown a viable downtown. It's not a great downtown, that implies ego, but it's a good downtown. This sounds really corny, but it's from the soul where people really are good, they really do care. And if something happens to one of us or one of your customers, then people respond to that in a mm-hmm. healthy way. It's a good place to, to do business. But anyway, with my business, what do I bring to it? I bring, I just bring another piece of the puzzle is what I bring. It is a tourist destination. We have a map in the hall with all the different states and then people from different countries come that have visited Charleston and then they want to come up to Somerville and see something a little bit smaller. Can you tell us a little bit about Somerville in the past? Well, I moved here in 1967, so people who are really from here would say I was a newcomer, and I'm very aware of that. I can be humble and say, but I came, and I appreciate what's here, and I feel some of the people, I'm going to say most all of the people that were here in the past, didn't really know what a gem they had, and that happens a lot. You don't appreciate what you're used to, but it really is a gem. It's something really special, and I think it has been from the very beginning, and it sounds it sounds like it's not true, but it is. In 1898, I think it was, the World Health Congress said this was one of two places in the world that were the healthiest to live because of tuberculosis, the cure of tuberculosis, or the treatment of it, because of the pine trees. At one time, you could look up and you couldn't even see the sky. But times would become rough for Somerville. There was the devastation of Hurricane Hugo in 1989. And after that, the novelty of modern living left its once lively downtown behind. and everything in between just closed up. People wanted to move out of town and move to the subdivisions because they had tile and garbage disposals and all that. So the downtown was really, it was boarded up and closed up. It was 60% vacancy. And then two people, Rick Sutton and Kata McCoy, said we need to do something, and they were residents here. Somerville became part of the Main Street program, which is administered through the National Historic Trust, which wants to save Main Streets. It was a matter of deciding what our identity was. You know, who are we? Mm -hmm. And so we got in touch with that again. And so the downtown, bit by bit, at one time I could have told you every business downtown, and Mm -hmm. the good news is I can't. Oh, gosh. And people come in and they say, man, I couldn't find a place to park. And I say, that's a problem we prayed for. It really is. What was the revitalization plan for Somerville? If you could summarize that for us just a little bit. 
I guess the main thing was to realize that we had a problem and we did want to fix it. And Mm -hmm. we were going to fix it in a good way and not by bad-mouthing or boycotting the box stores. The illusion of scarcity versus the reality of abundance. There's enough to go around. And then the Junior Service League did something. They had a contest, Scarecrow on the Square. And that was the first time that a lot of people came back downtown and they, they looked around and they said... They didn't say Shazam, but they said, look, there's something down here. And they started to support us. And it just bit by bit, it's sort of like how I did my business. It just grew. It wasn't overnight. And it wasn't in an unfair or dishonest means. It was all done, I think, in a really good way. And it's the dream organization that's downtown revitalization, enhancement, and management. And our first downtown manager was someone named Nancy Jean Nettles. And she said, you know what, we're doing the downtown. That's what we're about. But we will help anybody that comes And she's the one that has these words which we use in other organizations I'm involved in. Everything we do is going to be moral, ethical, and legal. Mm -hmm. That eliminates a lot of things, and it usually doesn't get you a round of applause. But we did it that way. I asked Diane what she wanted visitors to see in Somerville. If I heard the train was coming, because you get a little bit of a notice with that, I would go down to the railroad track and make sure that they saw me, and I would wave and get them to toot back. I would go to one of the restaurants. They're all locally owned. They're all good, depending on what you want. If you want a hot dog or you want fries or anyway, they're all good. And lots of local places to shop to go in. I would go to the art center next door. Our little local museum is great. Just walking around downtown or seeing the, the historic homes, it's not a place where... You're going to, I don't even know, you know, it's not big time. It's just small time friendly is Mm -hmm. what it is. After I parted ways with Diane, I thought about what she said about Somerville. It sounds like a place frozen in time, but not in a bad way. But that begs the question, as the town grows and the years pass, how can the town change while still keeping its charm? To answer that question, I spoke with Benjamin Banky. CEO of Somerville's first brewery, Oak Road Brewery. Ben, welcome to the Palmetto Porch. Thanks so much for joining me today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Why did you decide to open a brewery with your partners in Somerville? Because there wasn't one in Somerville. Uh, (laughs) As a craft beer fan, we always had to drive like North Charleston or Charleston or Mount Pleasant to get good craft beer. And I kept asking, why doesn't Somerville have a brewery? There's so many people here. So I said, I'm just going to go ahead and figure it out and found some people along the way. And here we are. If you want something done, do it yourself, right? Yeah, that's correct. (laughs) Tell us about your partners in this venture. Certainly. So the primary operators, if you will, are myself, Brian Cox, who is a uh, trauma nurse, and Aaron Cox, his wife, who is a school teacher. And then one of our founding partners is Brad Mallett, who owns a local business as well, which is a coffee shop that we are attached to. So we kind of have your full day planned out for you there in Somerville. Coffee to beer. Oh, I love that. Coffee to beer. How did you guys all meet and kind of get started on this project together? Sure. So, and as I said, Somerville didn't have a brewery and I wanted to start one. So in the process of doing that, I said, I'm going to go out and do it. And I kept hearing the name Brad Mallett. You got to talk to Brad. He's an entrepreneur in the area. He owns a coffee shop. You should talk to him. So I did. And uh, come to find out, Brad and I had shared the same job in the Air Force. We were both telephone guys in the Air Force. So that was pretty cool. And he had said that he would love to start a craft brewery. It's something he'd been wanting to do. But 
he feels like he should introduce me to someone else he had been talking to, which is Brian, our brewmaster. And uh, through that meeting is how I met Brian and his lovely wife, Erin. And off we went and started a brewery. You know, none of us knew each other. And we just learned how to learn each other, learn how to work it and make it successful. So why the name Oak Road? Is there a story behind it? Somewhat. Like a lot of us home brewers, you kind of make your own brewery name because you feel like you're one of the, I want to do one. And I live on Highway 61 here in Sunbury, which is a historic road. It's known for its oaks, the crossover, the not crossover, but they like tower the roads, like canopy, go through an oak tunnel. And Highway 61 brewery sounds kind of campy. So I thought Oak Road, which is what 61 is known for, sounds pretty cool. And that's kind of how it started. It represents the area well. Benjamin and his team had a lot of things to learn about running a brewery and a lot of challenges to face. What challenges did you run into while trying to make this idea a reality? There's tons. You don't know what you don't know, of course. So you, you figure things out along the way. And initially, you kind of view those challenges as individual things, right? Like, oh, there's another challenge, another challenge. And eventually you get to the point where you realize there's always going to be challenges. So how do you approach those challenges? And that was the biggest learning thing for me. It was to not, I'll say, focus on every single challenge and get caught up in it, but just realize, hey, this is part of the process. One of our uh, early supporters, Michael Walters, was big on reading, and he kept telling me that we needed to read business books and all that. And I just found that books helped me see that other, like I read their book from the Lagunitas Brewery founder and seen all the troubles that they went through in the beginning. And they, here they are today. I was like, oh, well, they're going through the same things I'm going through and they're just fine. So seeing that really like, okay, these books are super important. And then I had gotten, or our brewmaster Brian had sent me a podcast, or not a podcast, but a YouTube video of Jocko Willink called Good. And those two things happened around the same time. And I just, from that point on, changed everything. Okay. What are those troubles, in quote unquote, that breweries seem to face? Well, it's all cleaning. You're always making sure that everything's as clean as possible. You're trying to minimize any infections or things like that. But it's really finding out that things break. And there's nothing you can do about it. You just have to do what you can, make the best of it, fix it, and then get back to brewing. That can be stressful. So what are the consequences or what's at stake? Is it maybe potentially losing your business or some of these challenges that you guys face? Ultimately, I guess if you don't have beer, you can't make money and you go out of business. But he always finds a way to brew us fantastic beer through thick or thin, whatever troubles may arise. He's a genius. He knows the science. If it wasn't for him, we wouldn't be where we're at today. We get through so many troubles because of his knowledge and science and, and all that. So he's kind of comforting to have around. It, it makes those situations less stressful because you know that he's going to find a way to make it happen. For all you beer lovers out there, here's the rundown of what's on tap at Oak Road. Straight from Benjamin himself. Now, most breweries will have a lager, but all of our beers are lagers. We found out early that some of our number one selling beers were lagers. And then reading books, Good to Great was one where it said you should focus on what you do well. And lagers what were our thing. So that was like, all right, let's do this. Let's go all in on lagers and differentiate ourselves from the rest. Okay. Describe a lager from Oak Road. Maybe your favorite. 
My favorite one is Exit 199 or Exit 199A for Somerville. It is a German Pilsner. And having spent six years in Germany, I have a fan of German beers. So the, the German Pilsner of ours is probably my favorite. Okay. So are all of your beers, and I know the name obviously is inspired by Somerville, but is all of it kind of inspired by the area? Yes. Well, they're all German-inspired beers. Our brewmaster is also a huge fan of German beer, so we do a lot of them. The name, a lot of our names are inspired by the either there's a meaning behind them. They're part of us, who we are. It could be a joke, it could be an inside joke, and it's to the surrounding area. In fact, later this month in January, we have 1847 coming out, and that is a Somerville's lager. It is a American light lager, and the name 1847 comes from the year that Somerville was founded. Tell us about what's on tap. Tell us about some of these beers. Sure. So our flagships, if you will, are Joglin Board, which again is a local thing. It's like a, a bench that rocks side to side. Rumor has it, I guess, it originates in Scotland. It was a post bench but was modified here in the low country to, to rock. So our first beer is a Munich Kallus Lager, and we named it Juggling Board after that because it's an easy drinking beer, something you want to hang outside in the summer months and just kick back and relax. Another one is Beaver Canoe, and that is a Amber Lager, a Vienna Lager for those who are familiar with the style. And then we have a Munich Dunkel, which is a brown lager. That will become our Palmyra Lager, which is a partnership we have with a local barbecue guy and Hector Garate, who is phenomenal. So he loves that beer. It's been his favorite. So we're going to make that Palmero Lager when he reopens his restaurant later this year. What else do we have? We have our Hefeweizen that people love, which is Mother Heifer. <laughs> That's a great name. Name inspired by a friend of ours and from our distributor. And let's see what else. Double Contra is another flagship of ours, which is a double IPL. Most people look for IPAs, but we do IPLs since we do loggers. That is kind of a harken to our youth with the double country game back in the old Nintendo days. There was a little secret code that you get in Philip Lives. And some people who know, they know, and they come in and they're going to ask for the beer by the code, which is always entertaining. And then we change it up a lot. We have a lot of seasonals that come out. You know, we have 1847 now, which will probably be a mainstay. You know, with Czech Pilsner coming. We'll do beers for the Flower Town Festival, which is a huge deal around here. And then I think our biggest one is the 12 Beers of Christmas that we just got over. And that is where we brew 12 different beers for Christmas. It's a competition. One beer is released three days out of the week up till Christmas. And if you get all 12 beers, you get a long sleeve t-shirt in the end. Like I said, ours are more German inspired. There are really just two types of beers. There's ales and lagers. Lagers tend to be... They can be deceiving. People tend to think that they're lower quality because it's a lager. You know, Bud Light is a lager, but there is a large variety of, of lager beers. It really just comes down to the yeast. There's lager yeast and ale yeast. But uh, you can do a lot with lager yeast. And our, our brewmaster has proven that time and time again. We have a very large beer, large meaning high alcohol beer, that is very dark in nature. It's called Heart of Winter. And it comes out about 14%. Now, most people will think that's a big, dark, heavy beer. They'll see the darkness and like, oh, that's heavy. I can't drink that. But it's a lager. It's somewhat light in body. So it can be deceiving. So don't always judge a beer by its, if it's a lager or by its color. That's great. Are these lagers really popular among your customers? Absolutely. Because we do something that is somewhat different. In Somerville, we know our clientele. 
We know what the people like and, and they love coming to get their loggers. We do get a lot of people who come in who might be new and they ask if, what do you have that's like Bud Light, which we don't find offensive at all. That helps us understand what you're looking for. And we have something for you. That's great. Can you tell us a little bit about the atmosphere at Oak Road? It is very relaxed and non-pretentious. We try to make it so that anyone can come in and feel welcome. I know there are places out there or the people who might feel intimidated by craft beer because there's so many options. But we try to cut through all that and just it's just beer. Come in, relax, talk to the people next to you. I think a lot of that comes from my time in Germany, especially where the community center is where a lot of people hang out, the guest house or whatnot. And they just talk, you know, your neighbor's there and you talk to them. We do have TVs there. You know, we love soccer and we have that on, but really it's most people are there to, to hang out and talk to each other, talk to your neighbor. So what lies ahead for Oak Road? What have you guys got coming up in the next few months, years? Continuing to support Somerville. Really our focus is Somerville and the surrounding community. We hope to be here as long as they want us to be here. Hopefully that's for many years to come and uh, we grow with them. Some is rapidly growing and I know a lot of people want to maybe take over the world or be a regional brewery, but that's not our focus. We want to be part of the community and be that community brewery. So as long as we can have a good life running this brewery, then we are happy with that. Of course, you can't talk about beverages without talking about food. And what about those visitors who can't enjoy a pint? Somerville doesn't disappoint. What are some of the best foods to complement what's served at Oak Road? Well, barbecue is always good. Yep. Oh yeah, barbecue is, they've been a huge support of us. They're one of the food trucks that come up to Oak Road. And recently, Ricky Keto is one of the food trucks to come up. And although they do Venezuelan food, Marcella can cook quite the spread of variety. So they do a Venezuelan style barbecue, which is kind of like the Brazilian barbecue that people are familiar with. So they'll do that. And that goes great with beer. But those two, I think, will stand out as a good combination. All the talk about beer reminded me of the other beverage made famous in Somerville. I asked Benjamin about how people in town celebrate its legacy as the birthplace of sweet tea. I know when they do the Sweet Tea Festival and they have like a competition, a lot of restaurants around town will brew their own version of the sweet tea. And then I think some of the bars will do like a hard version of sweet teas and have these mixed drinks. So that time of year is probably the best time to go find the variety of sweet tea. When does the Sweet Tea Festival happen? I believe it is in the fall. Okay. Is it true that there is a sweet tea beer out there? somewhere in the universe? We do brew a sweet tea beer around that time. You do? Okay. Now explain the flavor then. I'm very curious is what a sweet tea beer might taste like. We base it off our amber lager and we use, last time it does change, but we use local tea leaves and steep them in the beer with it. So you kind of get like a tea beer combination going on. I wouldn't say it's overly sweet, but it is very tea-like. It's like a tea beer. Yeah. You know what? Sounds like the perfect solution for people who have maybe kind of grown from the really, really sweet flavor that's typical of sweet tea in the South. Maybe sweet tea beer is the solution. That's right. Adult tea. Benjamin says his town is all about hospitality and visitors will feel that hospitality throughout their trip. 
It's the everyone's friendly, everyone knows somebody. Somerville is very much like, oh, I know that person. And I think that a lot of that we see within the brewery. You know, we get to hang out with so many great people and we see them on the street. They're like, they're friends, friends of ours, not just customers. So it's just, again, I don't know how, how it happens, but the ability to sustain that, even though as we grow, even when we get new people coming in, that same friendship is built regardless of how long they've been here. And we see people on the streets all the time and, oh, hey, there's Oak Road. It's, it's cool. As I left Somerville, I thought about its past, its comeback, and its identity. You can hear it when you talk to people there. They have a strong sense of who they are and what their home is, just like Diane said. Somerville is more than a break from Charleston. It has a certain type of pride, the kind that stands taller than the trees that made it famous, and a presence that's sweeter than sweet tea. Well, that's it for this episode of the Palmetto Porch. Thank you to our guests, Diane Frankenberger and Benjamin Banky. If you like what you heard, share it with a friend or leave a review on your platform of choice. It really helps us get the word out. And to find out more about Somerville or any of the towns featured on our show, visit scpalmettoporch.com. The Palmetto Porch is produced by Discover South Carolina in partnership with Pod People. Special thanks to our production team at Pod People, Ashton Carter, Michael Aquino, and Kim Wong. Thanks so much for joining us, y'all. We'll see you next time on the Palmetto Porch. Thank you.